Dirty Paper Project, Dirty Paper Podcast. All right, Dirty Paper Podcasters. Now, if this is your first episode and this is the first time you're checking in with us, I would like to ask that you go back and begin with episode one, part one, to ensure that you're getting everything and you're getting all the content. I want to welcome you to the Dirty Paper Project and the Dirty Paper Podcast. All right, Dirty Paper Podcasters, I want to welcome you back. This is episode two, part one, the performance evaluation. But before I get into that, I want to get into this quote that kind of keeps me going. But every time I sit down to to write or even to think about doing this podcast, I, I think about a quote from Friedrich Nietzsche. And I got this quote from a good friend of mine, Mr. Russell. And the quote basically goes, whomever fights monsters should see to it that in the process, they don't become monsters themselves. And if you gaze into the abyss long enough, the abyss will gaze back into you, the warning. And at the time, I really didn't understand the warning. And it took several times of me hearing this and then for him to explain and basically what he was saying is that if you're going to confront monsters or evil, or in this case, corruption, make sure your intentions are just and that you and your intentions don't become corrupt. Basically, he's telling me to be careful because the abyss is massive. It's dark. It's never ending. And to elaborate when staring into the abyss, that something is staring right back into you. And being real, I was angry as hell. But you see, they were using that against me, unfocused. You know, my thoughts all over the place. Oh, look at him, he's angry. You know, oh, look at him, he's out of control. Mr. Russell was helping me navigate all of these emotions. And the conversations and talks with Mr. Russell, he would always refer to sleeping giants. He'd always say, you have to learn to be patient with your words and your voice. You see, you can yell and scream all day and no one will hear one word you say. It'd be like being in a vacuum. But when you learn to be patient with your voice and learn to evolve your words with timing, learning when to speak is good, but learning how to speak and be heard is powerful. And what he was talking about was sleeping giants. Because you see, I wanted revenge. I wanted payback. And I wanted it bad because I wanted them to hurt like my kids hurt. I wanted them to feel and go through what my kids went through. And me looking into their eyes, I wanted them to feel the isolation and the crushing in and the finality, everything that I had built. I wanted them to know and I wanted them to hurt also, all of them. But you know, deep down in my heart, I knew that that wasn't me. Mr. Russell knew that also. But you know, I think about all of that and I think about all of that restraint and what it took. And believe you me, it does not come without cost. The mental and physical health. Moreover, dealing with this endeavor for the last 16 years, I've come to the conclusion that dealing with this, I had to ask myself about the investigative process and ultimately redefining my approach. Because I've written to everybody. And at the time, I went to everybody. EO, the Equal Opportunity Office, the Inspector General. I even visited the chaplain's office. No one came. You understand? 
no one came. I wrote Congress. I even wrote the Enlisted Evaluation Records Review Board for the Air Force to try and get the EPRs that we're going to discuss today thrown out. And no one came because I didn't understand the process. And in dealing with this, you have to have a goal. And my number one goal is to get my records corrected. Number two, I want to change the process for everyone. And number three, I want the appellate for Article 15s removed from the Air Force's Board of Military Corrections. And in order to do that, I need to prove that the Article 15 was unjust. And in order to prove that, I needed to figure out where the system was or still is unjust. But how? How do I do that? And I'm going to do that with facts, data. You see, the Article 15 process is not a form of criminal proceeding. Everyone thinks it is, and it's pursued as such, but it's not. It's more of an administrative approach or a civil suit where the commander has taken out action against you. He's the plaintiff, you're the defendant. He's the judge, the jury, and the prosecutor in this case. And he has the staff judge advocate to advise him. And in this particular instance, a lot of people think that the evidentiary standard is beyond reasonable doubt, and it's not. It's burden of proof. And see, these standards are very different. And touching on that lightly, the evidentiary standard for Article 15s is based on burden of proof rather than a higher standard of reasonable doubt for criminal cases. Therefore, my approach in this had to become different. And then the consideration of preponderance of evidence or the 51% rule and understanding that standard really, really changed my approach in this case. Because you see, this is what the commander used to make or base his decision on. And this is what we call data, nothing but data. If you control the data, you control the outcome. And according to AFI 51-202, section three, and in summary, it states, all the commander needs is to believe you committed the crime. Because you see, according to AFI 1-1 and AFI 1-2, commander's integrity is beyond reproach. Therefore, the staff judge advocate isn't going to question the commander's decision to find you guilty. And you see, with no investigative process, the Air Force Board of Military Corrections won't look back into these things. They're going to believe that the commander is just. And we'll get more into that process when we get to episode three, the Equal Opportunity Office. So the more information you have proving that 51% of the evidence you have states otherwise goes in your favor. And just to recap a little bit, in episode one, we went over the basis. We went over the basis of the case, which begins with the mismanagement of the ADPE or the Computer Equipment Inventory, which resulted in a report to survey investigation and then me having to write a statement in my own defense after being falsely accused of thieving $100,000 in computer equipment, which immediately after making my statement, I began to receive what I thought was discrimination. And that brings us here. Because you see, at the time, I really didn't know that they were trying to set me up. And how they were setting me up was through my 2005 through 2006 performance evaluation or EPR. And again, what I'm talking about today goes a long way into proving my point that the Article 15 was unjust. Now, 
in accordance with the rule preponderance of evidence. And again, at the time, I assumed that we were talking about discrimination when in fact it was pure, unadulterated reprisal. So I guess the question would have to be, why would I assume or think that it was reprisal or at the time discrimination? Because now I have the data and the facts, which in just a second here, I'll begin to show you and it's demonstrated very well because for before the EPR comes out and you know, like I know, if you're a civilian out there, but those in the military, you understand that you have to have a performance feedback. So even for civilians, your boss has to tell you what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong, correct? And on March 22nd of 2006, during a midterm feedback session, the flight officer in charge of information systems stated on the feedback that I was supposed to transfer to application services. And then he writes in the block where he's supposed to show me all the things that I'm doing right or wrong or what I could do better. He says, good work as non-commissioned officer in charge of the information systems flight. And then on the back, he says, prepare for move to app services. Now, stepping out of chronological order again and adding to the sequence of events, let's take a look at the feedback that preceded the 22 March 2006 feedback, where it only states the bare minimum for success. And this is my initial feedback session. And given the EPR that had just closed out, which will come into play in just a little bit, let's move forward into the EPR. Now, there are three things that needs to be substantiated in order to prove that someone is not performing. Number one, there needs to be proof, documentation, data, facts, to say what the person is performing or not performing well. Number two, it should be documented, and that documentation needs to be placed in a personal information folder or PIF. And if it's not in their personal information folder, then guess what? Whatever it is you're saying that they're doing good, bad, wrong, indifferent, otherwise, it doesn't exist. And number three, probably the most important part, especially in the military, is that the person that you're documenting on needs to be aware of the issues. And at the bare minimum, it needs to be substantiated in order to prove that someone is either subpar or doing very bad in whatever it is you're trying to say that they're doing bad in within the EPR. Whether it's about their behavior or performance, it needs to be documented and placed in their personal information folder. If that is not correct, then someone please help me out. But the point being, if it's not documented, then it doesn't exist. And here's just some of the rules contained within Air Force Instruction 36-2618, Officer and Enlisted Evaluation Systems. Corrective or rehabilitative measures should have been noted in the feedback sessions or records of counseling and should not be introduced for the first time in the EPR as part of the permanent record. So as we begin to close out part one of episode two, I want to leave you with a few questions to ponder. If there were problems or deficiencies that the officer in charge of the flight was attempting to correct, because remember, Good order and discipline is based on correcting behaviors, and in this instance, it's called progressive punishment. So if there was something bad that needed to be noted in the EPR, it should have been noted in my personal information file to show the progression of whatever it is he's trying to say. And that should have been on either a letter of counseling 
to say that we understand what's going on, and I understand by signing, stating that I had done something so bad that it needed a letter of reprimand to bring it to my attention. But see, none of those things existed, and none of those things were in my personal information file. So what was it they were trying to correct? What was it he was trying to say with the information that he's put into my performance evaluation of 2005 through 2006? Or was this a retaliatory measure, especially given the timing of the investigation and my statement to the investigators? So tune in to part two of this episode where we'll discuss in detail the EPR from 2005 through 2006, the suspicious events surrounding the EPR. So until then, I want to thank you for tuning in. I want to thank you for your support. I want to thank you for your comments. I also want to thank you for subscribing. Be safe. Dirty Paper Project, Dirty Paper Podcast.